Hey there, I'm Marty McFly. And I am Ferris Bueller. And you're listening to Bro Have You Seen? Greetings from Idaho. Yes. My dear, from dear the studio. Friends. The basement depths of the studio caverns. Yeah. Don't give too much away. Um, or else we might get robbed. I don't know. But anyways. Yeah. Uh, we have a lot of valuables uh, in here, so. <laughs> a lot of collectible Pez dispensers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't of, want anyone to steal lots those. Lots of eBay fines. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> anyways, this is terrible. Okay. So what are we talking about this time? All right. We've got our classic decades list week bonus end of the month project thing. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. So we've got our eight from the 80s list this week. We've been doing these for ooh, four months. Four or so months now. Yeah, four. This is the fourth. We've got the 50s, 60s, 70s. We've done three so far. Yes. Now we're on the 80s. Um, if, you, if you do the math, it's some complicated algorithms, but yeah, you can I, figure out that it's this is the fourth. It a second one. to crunch those numbers, but... Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty excited. I... It's really bad on prep. Um, watching <laughs> new stuff in preparation was really hard, and... The 80s, surprisingly, was a decade that I didn't have much from, really. A lot of the stuff is, like, random, like, Christmas vacation and, like, random stuff I watched as a kid. Like, there's some good ones, but definitely not ones that I really love or wanted to add to the list. So it was really hard to stretch to get eight. It's been coming... It's become harder and harder every week or every month to get more because there's one more every time. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of... The 60s was kind of a stretch to get one, and then the 70s, like, oh, no, no, it's another one after stretch, and now the 80s, it's getting really hard. I hope the 90s, the 90s are going to be pretty hard, too, but... Mm. Yeah, the 80s, I definitely had the least seen before mm. I started prepping for this, but I've been prepping for this for the last month or two, That's so it's I've seen a, a lot. Good. Like, I've been really, uh, you know, chugging along through these f- movies from the 80s that I never saw. Yeah. Um... The 80s has never been a decade I particularly liked. Uh, it's always been my least favorite decade for a lot of things. Uh, you know, music. <laughs> yeah, and me too. movies especially, but now that I've seen a lot of the less commercial blockbusters, which is pretty much all that I'd seen uh, before this list stuff, and then as well as some John Hughes movies... Um, yeah, I, I've seen a lot of the other ones now, and I think the '80s is pretty strong. Not gonna lie, mm. I think I think it has a lot uh, to offer that is really important in terms of like world cinema as well as just progressing, you know, Hollywood, but also just movies that I've come to really love and enjoy. So these this eight these eight picks were actually pretty easy. Um, it was only when I got down to like seven and eight, yeah. like the bottom couple that I really started struggling to decide which one I liked enough to put up, but it was hard to edge out the other ones that I liked a lot too. So huh. it was, it was tough. I have, I had a big list. I think uh, I want to say 23 
um, 23 movies that I would that I was considering for the list but of course the top five or six were very <laughs> but of course the top five or six were very much uh, those just like a magnet just flew to the top Dang. I knew those were going to be there so oh. yeah I kind of wish I had your problems because uh, <laughs> it was pretty hard for me to find eight that I liked enough. I I mean, I like all these movies, and they're also ones that I wanted to highlight just for the sake of highlighting. Yeah. And um, yeah, there's not too many from the '80s that I really love. I just there's not a lot that I've seen, and there's not a lot that I've really become attached to and had a lot of time with. Uh, yeah. But I didn't do a lot of prep, so it's not like it's been that I've watched it in the last couple weeks. It's just that I just never really watch 80s movies. I don't know. And I've I tried yeah. to reach out farther and, um, you know, expand that kind of sphere. But also, I would just have to... Uh, I just want to publicly apologize on air because um, just the past couple weeks and months, I've been really slow movie-watching-wise for me. And, wow. I, of course, I've always kind of known this about myself, but movies are kind of a seasonal... Uh, not holiday, a seasonal <laughs> hobby for me. I usually tend to watch a lot of movies during the winter when I'm cooped up inside. I don't have a lot to do. But during the summer, I just want to be outside and any free time I can get. So it's been such a slog trying to just watch the ones that we talk about. Right. But, um, yeah, so this, like, my energy and my, uh, like, focus on movies has been very waning. But uh, I'm still trying to... You know, provide because it's a responsibility I have here on the show. But for sure, yeah. So uh, we'll we'll I'll try my best. I'll try yeah. my best. It doesn't have to be you know your whole life either. Don't feel too bad. <laughs> uh, you did just start your first full time job, so that's yeah. definitely taking a big chunk of your time, which crazy. happens to all of us, <laughs> unfortunately, I guess. But yeah, um, but I would say I'm pretty excited for this episode. You know. Um, yeah, the 80s. I will say, like, I definitely had the, uh, this decade I have the least experience with as well. Um, and so most of my picks I've only seen once. Um, whether it be, like, I saw it a right. long time ago one time or I saw it recently one time. But, yeah, there are a few on here that I've seen multiple times and have really come to love. But, uh, yeah, I just wanted to run through a little bit of my rules. As, okay. as per usual, uh, I didn't pick any movies that we've previously talked about uh, at full length on the show, which is absolutely zero movies because yeah, we've we never... Yeah, we don't have an actual episode with one movie from the 80s. It's kind of a yeah weird... It's a blind spot. That maybe. definitely tells, you, tells like me and everyone that that's kind of a... A weak spot, I guess. Yeah, no. maybe next month. I think I know what I'm going to recommend for you okay. uh, two weeks from now. But, uh, yeah, maybe we can start uh, filtering in some 80s movies yeah, into our regular viewings. But, yeah, and then this time I decided I'd try something a little new, a little more challenging. As I said, uh, I guess I kind of hinted at it already that I've been ranking them. Um, this is the first time I've actually wow. done a one through eight where they're in order, specifically by how much I like them. Um, and so, yeah, it was quite a challenge to do that. It would have been much easier to just pick eight that I liked and just kind of scatter them randomly throughout the show, but I decided I would put forth a, an effort and try to uh, rank them out. And it's been a good exercise just to see why I like certain movies more than others, or maybe 
why it kind of helps me realize some movies that maybe I didn't like as much as I thought okay. I did. So, been very an interesting exercise. Okay. I yeah, I definitely did not rank mine. Um and I'm kind of beating a dead horse at this point. I had to really stretch my list and I made a couple exceptions and a couple cheats here and there. I don't want to give anything away. Um but I made a couple exceptions. I I guess this won't really give anything away, but I didn't focus so hard on if we've talked about it or not. Uh, we haven't done a full episode or anything, but if I've mentioned this in another list, or mm. if we've talked about it on a Entertaining Us, like something that I've talked about multiple times or before, I right. didn't really bring that into consideration. I just chose my eight, and whether we've talked about them or some other thing, like I chose them, so. Nice. Um, yeah, mine just kind of... Just kind of there. So. Sweet. Well, uh, you're banished now because you cheated. But... <laughs> no. I'm kidding. Well, let's go ahead and get started. I think I kicked yeah. off our 70s list, so why don't you give okay. us your first pick? All right. Sounds good. Okay, I, I've got my first one, and to me, no other movie screams the 80s to me quite like this. I really like it and enjoy this movie and its franchise. It really does stand out to me as probably my favorite um mainstream blockbuster 80s movie that I can think of. Um, it's creatively cobbled together story and brings intriguing characters and also mind-bending time concepts. Back to the Future mm. is my first pick from the 80s and like I said it's probably my favorite mainstream one that I've seen so far. It's just nice. I just remember it really pretty fondly and always having a good time with it and I'd love to revisit it soon. So yeah, cool. Yeah, I've only seen that one time. Uh, pretty good. I don't. Yeah. I don't remember a lot from it, but um, I do remember one little detail. Yeah. That they filmed some of the scenes or a majority of the film. I don't know uh, which detail is more accurate, but they filmed some with Eric Stoltz in the main role as Marty McFly. Oh yeah. And then they changed it to michael j fox mm. uh who actually you know was in the movie when it came out so very little interesting detail but i've seen images of eric stoltz all dressed up oh, in so the marty mcfly outfit it's very strange yeah it's not one that i really can expand too much on but it's just everyone knows about it of course it's so famous and popular yeah but that's kind of my first one i'd kick off just kind of throw out there as one of those nice. ones that's just a fun 80s movie <laughs> Yeah, and I've heard that the third one is terrible, so... Yeah, I, I went through a binge and I watched all three, like, a couple oh, really? summers ago. And they were all on Netflix. Mm. The second one, I like I like it quite a bit. It's I think it's a pretty good sequel from what I remember. Yeah. And then the third one, yeah, it's pretty weak, but <laughs> I, I had fun with it. But, again, I really wasn't super interested in movies then. Like, I right. didn't know very much about movies. It's probably yeah. pretty bad. Mostly focusing but, on entertainment value and whatnot, yeah. which is a very viable way to watch movies. Yeah, I, I don't it think was entertaining. Any... It's a really good franchise, though. It has grossed tons of money and so many fans, like, really deep fans, so... Yeah. It's a good one. It's a good uh, property, and mm -hmm. who knows? Maybe someday they'll bring it back. Yeah, they're probably they working probably on a will. reboot already. Yeah, probably. <laughs> no, yeah. Okay. Uh, cool. All right. Whew, my number eight. So this film almost got edged out by another movie I love, but I was halfway through writing the setup for that one when I realized I love this one more. Dang. Uh, I can't really discuss the plot since it will definitely give away what this movie is, so I'll try to dance around it. 
Uh, it features everything I love about this type of film, everything I love about this director, and everything I love about the lead actor. It offers glimpses into the fantastical or mystical without giving up its ground in reality. It's charming and funny, but most of all, it's simply entertaining. It's a thrill of an adventure with double crossings and clues to follow. It also subverts this character by using film noir conventions, making him reluctant at first, but suddenly agree to the task when things become personal. The set pieces are forever burned into my memory, and while this is a sequel, and I think the first is probably a better film, this one is more favorite for me. Um, it is Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Uh, this came out in 1989 and was directed by Steven Spielberg, starring Harrison Ford as Indy and Sean Connery as Professor Henry Jones Sr. Mm. Bro, have you seen this? I have, but it's one of those ones that I've probably seen once a long time ago. I like I like Raiders a lot. I watched it pretty recently, yeah. and I've never seen Temple of Doom. And then... Oh yeah, that's all of them. No, she. <laughs> and then I, as a kid, I really liked uh, Crystal Skull, the yeah. fourth one, but I know that it's a pretty controversial one. Yeah. Out of the franchise, it's got its fans though. It's got its defenders. Dude, I, I, I like. I really remember liking it. So nice. I wanted to go back and watch all of them, but the Last Crusade is one that's kind of escaped me as well as Temple of Doom, but. That's mm. I know you rewatched that and I did. Um, I was interested. I'm really interested to see what makes your list. Like these setups are really hard to pin down. <laughs> I only got that right at the end, and I was like, oh, okay, right. that's what it is. Yeah, I I worked hard on these to make them a little obscure yeah. or to obscure the titles a little bit. But yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, the plot I couldn't really mention, but of course it features Indy as um, the the archaeologist. You know he. He's a professor by day and a treasure hunter by night, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, so he he doesn't want anything to do with this mission for the Holy Grail, uh, which is what the movie's about. But then when he finds out that his dad has been kidnapped and is in trouble, then he kind of jumps and he goes out to Venice where kind of the main mystery, I guess, the adventure begins. Uh, and of course, you know, there's always clues and punching in the face uh, there's always yeah know, there's lots of good action yeah indy's always getting into fights fist fights um and there's always a love interest which there is in this mm-hmm. uh and so you know it follows a lot of the same beats as the first two um but this one i think i've always kind of held it more dearly i think mostly because of the gauntlet type challenges at the very end oh uh, yeah i won't give away uh, more about that but it was always really fascinating to me how you know the father had all these clues he spent his whole life researching uh, the holy grail and then he finally gets to use his clues to help indy uh you know complete his mission so to speak so yeah nice so is it the i just got confused is it the third one yes okay okay yeah. so it's after temple of doom mm-hmm. okay so you think it holds up like pretty good against the other ones i mean of course if this yeah. made your list instead of raiders yeah i really they, like they it. all came out in the 80s then yep that's crazy yeah this was the decade of that's, indiana yeah. jones for yeah. sure um yeah raiders was i think number 12 on my list so okay didn't quite make it i don't love it but i do think it's probably better um it's hard being the first, you know. I always yeah. give that a little yeah. bit of an edge, so. Yeah, yeah. I love Raiders. Um, it's always good to revisit that. Sweet. Okay, I'm going to do another kind of uh Okay. 
This one is pretty weird, but also super humorous and chaotic with some quirky dialogue and characters. I loved the use of bright colors contrasting with the desert scenery. And there were some also unique camera choices that I wasn't expecting. Uh, <laughs> the Coen Brothers sophomore film Raising Arizona oh, wow. deserves a place on my 80s list. Nice. I liked this one. Um, picking between all the ones I had left, this was my eighth one that I wrote about. Mm. And trying to pick the last one, I kind of just went for this one. I, I really liked it. I thought it was good. Uh, it's got Nick Cage and John Goodman, just a bunch of yeah. uh, awesome guys. Holly Hunter. Holly Hunter, yeah. Um, there's some other people. There's a bunch of other people in it, of course. Yeah. But there's so many bits that I remember all the time, like when they're sticking up the bank, when John Goodman <laughs> and his like sidekick are sticking up the bank, and they're very contradictory whether they want everyone to get down or stand still. So there's some really funny. It's so weird. Yeah. I haven't watched too many of the Coen Brothers stuff, but mm. this was kind of my first leap in there uh into their filmography i know you recently watched blood simple yeah um, yeah the first one but what do you think about raising arizona raising arizona uh i saw it one time i thought it was pretty funny but not quite i don't know it wasn't as great as i maybe had heard mm -hmm. um but it definitely felt very cohen to me like that world that they have created is so fun to live in for whatever reason like i'm it's one of those where I don't always want to go and, like, watch one of their movies, but when I do and I'm watching it, I really have a good time. Yeah. Uh, it's just such a unique just cadence of speech and a unique sort of just world, I guess. Yeah, there's this weird feeling in all of the movies. I mean, I guess I can't really speak too much to that because I've only seen, like, maybe one or two. Mm. But there's just such a, such a unique feeling with Raising Arizona. It just feels so much different than most everything else and especially from the 80s like yeah i mean it does have some like i guess maybe some 80s things like culturally pop culturally but it's really unique and refreshing and watching it now it was really fun and yeah it's, it's really funny and i loved the characters of um, nick cage and his wife and they're just contrasting <laughs> foiled characters yeah um the cop and the multiple offender uh burglar and cr criminal uh just those two together was really fun to watch and it's just so goofy and nick cage just <laughs> everyone is just they're so serious about it like yeah not so serious but just so dedicated they're to what they're doing it, they're taking it seriously and it's yeah. just it makes it so funny and yeah, it's great you know that everyone's just like putting everything in and you can really feel that it's awesome definitely yeah cool all right <laughs> my number seven so, like many others on this list, uh, I discovered this film on my recent binge of films from the 80s. I knew nothing going in, and while it took me a while to warm up to the film, I found it to be really sweet. It's about a group of friends who meet together after many years at the funeral of one friend who killed himself. They all stay a weekend with the couple who hosted the funeral, who are also part of the friend group, by the way, uh, and their pasts begin bubbling up to the surface in unexpected ways. Like many tight-knit friend groups, I guess, question mark, several of them have slept with each other and all carry baggage from those relationships and others. At its core, though, it's about life and death, age and regret, and the paths we take. It becomes really funny and at times really strange. I wanted to laugh in those moments, but it was also just so sweet that I also didn't want to. <laughs> 
this is my seventh pick, and it's Lawrence Kasdan's The Big Chill, 1983. Oh. Wow. Yeah, I don't know anything about it. <laughs> I, I heard the title when you were talking about it, like, a couple weeks ago when you watched it, but yeah. other than that, I really, I've never heard of it. Um, I don't think so. Yeah, so That's there's cool. a there's a big ensemble cast. You've got Glenn Close, Kevin Klein, Jeff Goldblum. Okay. Uh, oh man, the names are escaping me. But uh, those are a few that I remember. Tom Berenger is in it as well. Um, so yeah, it's it's a great little kind of eclectic bunch of pe- people who, you know, they all kind of have these different. Um, these different little, I don't know, their characters are all very unique and they all have uh, a different relationship with each one of the friends. So it's it's interesting to see, you know, the, the different mixing of them mm. together, like the different pairings. And right. also, um, I think William Hurt, if that's his name, William Hurt is in it. He's really great in the movie as well. Um, yeah, I got the names here. William Hurt, then there's there's Mary Kay Place and Meg Tilly and Joe Beth Williams. Hmm. Um, I don't recognize most of these names really. Yeah, they're they're more of like, um, maybe, maybe more seventies, maybe more nineties, but it's definitely like not the big pop culture type right. cast that you see a lot. Doesn't have like Matthew Broderick and yeah. all the people from the doesn't J- have John the Brat Hughes pack. Movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. uh huh. And so like these are adults like they're they're older and it's just kind of an a different type of movie for the 80s okay um but yeah i highly recommend it there's a couple scenes that i was really just cackling uh just (laughs) there's really sharp fast-paced uh dialogue jokes that they're kind of bouncing off each other there's a couple like musical scenes where they're dancing to the temptations or uh other artists and like it's just a really i don't know it's just a really like warm movie sweet was the word that i said a couple times and i think that's the most fitting word for this movie so that's awesome sounds pretty interesting the big chill the big chill okay nice pick maybe someday i would have to check it out yeah okay um let's see gonna pick my next one here Okay, this one is an incredibly important milestone in a genre I have a great love and interest in, but I think these days the genre genre this film defines gets watered down and mass-produced. It's beautifully artistic and well-crafted, which, even though I was tired during my viewing, those aspects alone held my attention the whole time. I love the refreshing way the information was presented and things played out. From centered convicts being questioned to the recreation of the crimes, the Thin Blue Line is a must-see and a flagship of documentary filmmaking and crime storytelling. Nice. So, uh, bro, I know we we watched this together, but yeah. what are your thoughts on Errol Morris's 1988 documentary? Uh, it's really good. Like you said, groundbreaking uh, in terms of documentaries. Uh, the true crime story yeah. was like this is one of the earliest examples of that, uh, where you have the talking heads of the people who. Uh, were convicted for the crime and some of the cops who were there at the time and all these different players and it was really fascinating to see how you know the the justice system isn't always like totally accurate you know like there's there's a the movie casts doubt on one man's guilt right um who was actually sentenced for i think a shooting of a cop i want to say yeah 
and they just start adding up all the details of his testimony and there's like little recreations. I love the recreations. That was one of my favorite parts. Yeah, it's really cool to see that and yeah, I just it was a very captivating story. Um and I enjoyed it. Yeah, it's kinda like an original making of making a murderer, the yeah. Netflix original. It mm-hmm. just like takes this one guy and kind of how he's been wronged mm-hmm. by the justice system as you're saying. And uh yeah, I just the reason why I like it so much and I mentioned is because I think documentaries and especially true crime, I mean you got like Dateline NBC and they just right. there's just so <laughs> many it's saturated with true crime now, it's just become such a massive genre of just because there's so many interesting crime stories out there but i just often don't like how they're drawn out for so long on television and just like most of that kind of stuff is just so overdone (laughs) nowadays yeah when like this was so fresh that like seeing something like this and even now is like it's just so well crafted it's more of a film rather than just like a crime story it's yeah there's a lot more filmmaking elements of how they recreate it it's more cinematic it's mm-hmm. i mean errol morris i also a brief history of time uh is a good one but he's a really important documentary filmmaker and uh he's just just so much more craft that has been put into it yeah i feel like a lot of the newer stuff in this genre are they focus more on the sensationalism yeah. of things like this story felt very simple and very sort of uh small compared to some right. of the stuff that they have and and it wasn't dramatized yeah they didn't just play up the music and then commercial break i mean of course <laughs> it's a movie so it's a little bit differently yeah. compared to tv yep. but they just leave you suspended and go on about all these tangents and oh this is kind of mysterious and this one was it, yeah it's just a lot more slow and dry and kind of just real and yeah, yeah. it does feel really yeah i would really also slow. like to recommend the TV anthology documentary now um, uh, they make parodies of a lot of famous documentaries and documentary styles and they have a thin blue line really one. it's really I can't funny remember if you told me about that it's really I funny think I watched it uh, I saw it before I saw the thin blue line okay and so I need to go back and watch it again to find how funny it actually yeah, is you that's know? awesome but yeah it, often when I watch one of the movies I mean it's only happened once before with Jiro Dreams of Sushi, yeah. but, like, when you watch the movie and then immediately watch the episode, it's hilarious. It's like, so good. Uh, I think, so I definitely recommend that. I think the Jiro Dreams out. of Sushi one is the best of documentary so now. Good. It's so good. So, cool. Nice yeah. pick. Thanks. Nice pick. All right, on to number six. Uh, it's not easy for a director to land two films on one list, but this one did. Uh, they just have such an ability to capture suburbia, youth, and, of course, wonder. Wonder is the buzzword for Steven Spielberg, a director I never thought I would like as much as I do now. Uh, I've even said before on the show that I really didn't like most of his attitude, let alone his films. However, when I take a step back and realize that Spielberg is really a great visual storyteller... Um, yeah, oh, sorry. When I take a step back, I realize that Spielberg is... Uh, really a great visual storyteller. His shots are always purposeful, even those famous close-ups, and help push the narrative along. Spielberg might not be the master at symbolic imagery or complex themes, or maybe he is, but I haven't quite gotten to that point with his films. Uh, What he is a master at is easily digestible, fantastical narratives that feel real, and telling them in the most efficient way possible. In some respects, I still consider him a highly calculated director, Uh, But I guess I use that as an excuse to dislike the ones I find boring. 
I'm looking at you, the color purple. <laughs> this one, though, just feels genuine. It feels personal. It feels good. This is E.T., the extraterrestrial from 1982, and has since become a comfort movie for me. Ooh. Bro, have you seen it? Ah, uh, you know, I always say this, but it goes on that long list of ones that I've pretty much seen but never really watched. Right. Because I... I'm pretty sure I watched this on VHS back in the good old days. Right. But I really don't know much about the story, and I haven't seen it with fresh film eyes. Mm -hmm. So I can't confidently say I've seen it. But, nice. um, yeah, I'm, I don't know if I'm glad or not that you've come around on Spielberg, because I'm not, like, a big <laughs> Spielberg fan or a, yeah. not, or a hater. Like, I don't, I don't really have an opinion on him yet. I haven't watched very many of his movies. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, E.T., uh... There's a couple things I do remember from it, though. I mean, like, the some of the backyard scenes, those are probably pretty early on with, like, the mist and stuff. Yeah. And, like, them inside with the Reese's Pieces. Like, there's just a couple of random things I remember from mm -hmm. the movie. I think he's playing with, like, E.T. He's playing with his toys. I can't remember what toy he's playing with. Do you remember? There's, uh, like, a certain type of action I think figure he's playing or... with Star Wars action uh, figures. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So I kind of... I vaguely remember a couple scenes, but I don't have any... I love the music, though. The music oh, yeah. is really good. John Williams. John Williams. John Williams is one of those composers, or maybe the composer, who I I don't like to listen to his scores, like, alone, but when it's in the movie, it just feels so perfect. Like, it, yeah. it works on so many Yeah, Wonder levels. is really the big buzzword, like yeah. you said. It's His scores play up everything, so they turn it up to 11. You yeah, know? <laughs> they do. They really do. So, yeah, I really like E.T., uh, it was due for a rewatch for me. Like you, I saw it as a kid on VHS or right. whatever, and I just never really f connected with it like so many kids did, uh, it's especially kind of in the 80s. I was, I'm not an 80s kid, of course, but uh, it just never quite hit me until now, I think. It's kind of hard to find. That's kind of one of the issues why I haven't watched it. Like, Yeah, you, I had to rent, rent it. I rented yeah. it on YouTube. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I did the same thing with Jurassic Park. It was like a back-to-back -back yeah. Spielberg. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I do feature. remember that. Mm -hmm. Sweet. Cool. <clears throat> okay, so regardless of the fact that we've talked about this before, I had to include this crazy fun epic movie by one of cinema's greatest directors slash stuntmen. <laughs> it's Jackie Chan's Police Story. I love Police Story. Thanks to you, bro. Nice. Um, for showing it to me in the Criterion Collection. It's got everything. It's got comedy. It's got love, action. I mean, wow. Like, it's so fun. It's all the music and the cinematography and the crazy stunts, of course, infamous. But, uh, yeah, bro, what do you think about Police Story? I love Police Story. It was on my comedies list, so. Oh, nice. Oh, that's yeah. kind of where it's been a repeated offender on the show. <laughs> right. That's true. I forgot we did the comedies list. But, yeah. So, I kind of... That's not my biggest cheat on this list, so... Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, I love Police Story. I did show it to you. Um, I watched it, and I loved it, and then I watched the second one, and I loved that, and then I showed you the yeah. both of them, I think. Yeah. Uh, so, it's, it's great. I mean, one scene that really sticks out to me is where... Uh, I think it's, uh, it's the lady. can't remember her name. I apologize for that, but she's kind of like part of the mob that he's investigating and she's at his apartment and she's like recording him and then she she uh in the courtroom and she makes it sound like he's 
you know, like, it's like a sexual encounter right. and stuff, and it's really funny, and they play it up for laughs, and it's just really clever, like, all the little things that he says and that she says, they they work in the scenario that actually happened, but then if you take it out of context, it's totally different. Yeah, yeah, it was that, that's kind of the same scene with, like, the birthday cake and his girlfriend, like, yeah. at the apartment, like, yeah. all that kind of, like, double like meaning inside was he on the phone with this i can't remember how that all played out i i've been really meaning to watch that again but yeah, yeah it's so funny there's so like the good situational irony um, yeah and yeah we were laughing out loud like crazy it's so funny like the when he's holding on to her bag and then she drives the motorcycle off like oh man that's hilarious yeah. just really good comment like that's why i was on my comedy list it's something i don't know if i knew about or expected going in but, I mean, when you got action and comedy just both really at the forefront, it just makes for a really good time, so. Yeah, for sure. It's one of my favorites. And I had to mix in some uh, foreign movies, you know. Gotta have a Hong Kong mixed in there. Right. Definitely. All right. Cool. What am I at? Number five. Five, yeah. Five. Okay. Where to begin? Whew. There's a lot I like about this movie. Um, the cinematography the score, the performances, the Heineken. But what I love most has to be the mood. This director has a quality that is hard to miss, and his primary aim is to elicit emotions, though in a much different way than Steven Spielberg. His films make me feel fear, sadness, confusion, and occasionally joy. Mm. This one is definitely less on the confusion and more on the fear. It takes conventional mystery tropes and flexes them and warps them into something so devilishly original, it's hard to resist. Of course, I'm talking about David Lynch's Blue oh. Velvet. Oh, not as 1986. Huh. For a second, I was either thinking, hmm, is it Kubrick's Full Metal Jacket? Because that's 80s, right? Yeah. Or is it The Shining, also by Kubrick? And then, because those both, they almost work in that... In that uh, Possibly. That... Um, line up the dialogue you said there that's true nice um yeah so i haven't seen this uh i'm a i'm a you know amateur lynch fan <laughs> i'm a, i still am too i'm a very surface I'm level i'm a very like only seen like one movie by him <laughs> so i'm like super technically two uh yeah Firewalk two me. Yeah. I, i've seen two and i've seen most of twin peaks right so like i i i have an awareness but I yes. don't know very much. Yeah, Lynch is quickly becoming one of my favorite directors. Yeah, I know he has a very sp- specific fan base. I guess it so. seems like he's a very uh, he has a very popular style. Yeah, yeah. You he's got a good kinda, following. You either love him or hate him. Yeah, I think. but he just has a way with. He's primarily a painter, so he's visual first. And then everything else second, including yeah. including like logical sense. Yeah, we've and... kind of discovered that through uh, Twin Peaks: The Return series. Uh, yeah, there's some stuff that has no importance or meaning, yeah. as far as I can tell, and it's just like, wow, that looks pretty cool and interesting. Yeah, <laughs> just yep. weird imagery. And he just kind of wants to make you feel things. Like I said, he's trying to evoke that emotion, and uh, typically they're negative emotions, I guess. But <laughs> uh, he works very well in that realm, and. Yeah, like I said, I'm a pretty rookie Lynch fan. I've only seen this, Firewalk With Me, Eraserhead, and Mulholland Drive, um, which I guess is about half his filmography, but I haven't seen, I haven't seen like the, 
deeper the cuts. true fan yeah movies. you're wild at heart your inland empire your lost highway um the straight story that's like probably one that nobody talks about but <laughs> uh yeah so i love david lynch i'm really excited to finish the return series we've been slowly i know ch- chugging away through we've been that. speeding up though i think we've been watching a lot more recently than we used to be so yeah yep and and then i want to dig into his earlier films it's kind of harder to find them but uh, I'm definitely on the lookout. So, yeah, Blue Velvet. Uh, it's really great. You got Kyla MacLachlan, you uh, got yes. Laura Dern, and of course Dennis Hopper. He's amazing. And then Isabella Rossellini, who was actually mm-hmm. like married to Lynch or dating Lynch at the time. Uh, so, yeah, it's uh, it's quite the movie. It's not as much of a mystery as Mulholland Drive, but it's not as much of a. Well, I guess it's kind of a mystery. But it's not as much of a wacky absurd as Eraserhead. So mm. it kind of floats the line between balance. the two. It's a much more conventional narrative, I guess. It's just done in such a weird way. Uh, so yeah, Blue Velvet's great. I love Sweet. it a lot, actually. Okay. Okay, this one is a good gem from the 80s, starring some stellar actors, among them Bill Murray and Dustin Hoffman. Uh, you might probably already know what this is, which delivers still very relevant messages about feminism and equality in the workplace for women. The story was so enjoyable to watch unfold, and I felt a real connection to the characters thanks to their great performances, of course. It maybe wasn't the unpredictable laugh-out-loud comedy that the back of the DVD promised, but it was a great time. (laughs) Certainly funny, thought-provoking, and packs a surprising amount of tension. This is Tootsie by Sidney Pollock. Nice. from the 80s <laughs> cool didn't have a year <laughs> i didn't write them down on here so nice. that's my mistake it just came out it, it yeah it's from in the, the 80s. decade yeah. yeah it yeah it was released in the every decade. year of yeah. that decade it doesn't have a year because it was released every year no i'm just joking that's weird dr manhattan <laughs> stuff going on right there but it's um, simultaneously at all I time i don't think you've seen this but no i haven't what no. do you know about it what do you think about it do you <laughs> feel about it <laughs> i hate it no I, I don't know anything about it i know that dustin hoffman dresses up like a woman yeah uh, to get a role in a show or a movie yeah or something. so like kind of the basic plot is he's an actor he he has a hard time like people don't like him person personality and person wise mm. he has a hard time getting jobs because he's kind of hard to work with mm. so he's like well fine then i'm gonna be a woman and then once he becomes a woman he gets like this role and then he gets kind of stuck in it and there's some interesting uh, complications with him becoming a woman. So, not right. really becoming a woman, but pretending to be a woman. That's yes. very much more apt yeah. of a way to put it. But um, Cool. Yeah, it's really interesting. And the tension of him dressing up and some people knowing about it, some people not knowing about it, and his relationships and things that are happening mm. makes it really... I, I really thought I had a lot of tension from what I remember and was very funny and has one of the best falling in love montages. Um, if you've seen it, it's really funny. Cool. Uh, so yeah. Awesome. That's my pick. Tootsie. <laughs> I haven't seen that. I think that's so far the only one I haven't seen on your list. Dang. Yeah, I think so. Cool. Wow. All right. I'm going to go right ahead into number four. Ooh. Here we go. Okay. So one of my favorite movies as a kid was a Western. It stars a tough cowboy who is fast with his gun and smooth with the ladies. Then he meets a guy who embodies the fish-out-of-water archetype better than anyone. 
He can't speak English very well. He's in a land where the rules are different and the customs are strange. He's completely out of his element. Now this movie isn't my number four pick because it came out in 2000. Uh, it's a little film called Shanghai Noon. Owen Wilson is the tough outlaw and his sidekick is the legendary Jackie Chan. Now if Chan's Chan Wang is out of his element in Shanghai Noon, then his Chan Ka Kui could never be more in his element in my next pick. He's a rogue cop who fights crime with his wits, fists, and a roundhouse kick or two. Sometimes he's just hanging on, literally, for dear life. Sometimes he's plucking Maggie Chung off of her scooter. He's a cop, and this is Police Story, 1985, yeah. and actually directed by Jackie Chan as well. Yes. So I cheated. I what didn't know that I cheated, but I did. I forgot that we did the comedies uh. list, and I forgot this was on that list. So... Maybe take this with a grain of salt. Maybe my number nine pick can fill in for... No. And I'll just shift everything up. No. Technically, this isn't eligible, but it's a great movie from the 80s, and I love it a lot, so I had to yeah, pick dude. it. That's awesome. It's very well highlighted on the show now, so... Yes. By now, if you have not seen it... Go see Police Story. There's an upcoming Criterion sale next month. Just... Just get the double... Yeah, it's such a good deal. ...box set. Yeah, you get two movies. They're both excellent. The packaging's beautiful. It comes with a sweet poster of him sitting on a scooter oh, on yeah, a motorcycle. Yeah. <laughs> Hang, it's hanging in my room, so... Yeah, police story. We've talked about it enough, but... Yeah. Cool. Well, if there's anything else you wanted to specifically mention. Not really. But I think your uh, setup was good, so... Awesome. Okay. Well, speaking of cheating... This is the one that I'm really not proud of, how bad I'm cheating on it. <laughs> All right. I'm cheating on this one really bad. This With is who? This is... What? With who? Oh, I can't say, but... <laughs> uh, it's going to go down in... Bro, have you seen history here? I'm just kidding. Oh, boy. <laughs> For my egregious cheatery. <laughs> <laughs> That's just like... Okay. So I've been chipping away at this one for a while. Truth be told, I haven't even finished it. <laughs> what? <laughs> that, that's the... That's what's bad about it. I have not even finished it. Okay. I like it so far, but haven't had enough interest to really sit down and watch it. It's pretty much the first time this kind of experience has happened to me. I don't know how to describe it. Every time I try and watch it, I, like, really want to like it, but I just, like, don't. But mm. I really do, but I don't. It's, like, this super weird, just, like, numb reaction. I just don't have, like, any sort of reaction. Huh. And, um... Yeah, so the movie I'm talking about is the famed Japanese animated film Akira. Oh. Um, I don't really know what it's about. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you pick it? I guess I'll just leave this here and, uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, the first unfinished movie on the list. <laughs> Good job. Like I said, I'm Almost. kind of stretching the boundaries. That's why I made some exceptions so I could fit some movies. Okay. I feel like I just wanted to include this because... I, I do love the animation. It's beautiful. The, like, of the 45 minutes I've watched of it, um, I do really like that. And it is kind of... That's, like, the biggest thing that's giving me the push to finish this sh soon. But, um, yeah, I mean, so far it's kind of about these biker gangs, these rival gangs, and kind of the violence that's going on in Neo-Tokyo. It's got some interesting commentary, probably about World War Two and atomic bomb. Mm. Uh, with that, but uh, yeah, it's pretty interesting. But I know it's got a really big fan following. It's a really uh, famous one. So yeah, I don't know. I just that's kind of a kind of just put that there and uh, sweet. 
you can just yeah so yeah I've wanted to watch it for a while that's also it's on my 80s catch up yeah. list uh, I just haven't got around to it yet so yeah, yeah I've wanted to watch it for so long but I just like I just don't know what it is that I can't get into or not <laughs> I don't it's weird but yeah it's not it's a it's I've heard good things. Movie. I've heard really good things. So I'm starting to question why I picked it necessarily, but I think it's so fine. am I. <laughs> I think it's fine. I think I'm just gonna leave it. All right, cool, nice. All right, my number three. I'm just gonna come off the bat and tell you the title. It's The Shining. Ah. <laughs> Directed by Stanley Kubrick and starting off the '80s with a bang, or should I say, an axe to the chest. <laughs> this is psychological horror. Uh, sorry, this psychological horror film has gone down as one of the best movies of all time, and arguably stands the pinnacle of the horror genre. Starring Jack Nicholson in his prime, Shelley Duvall and Scatman Crothers, and telling a spine-tingling, bone-chilling story. <laughs> That fans have analyzed and dissected frame by frame for the last 40 years. There's no wonder this is in my top three. Bro, have you seen The Shining? Yeah, dude. I've seen it. Let's go. Yeah, I watched this, like, two months ago for the first time, like, in its entirety. I'd watched an edited version earlier, like, not too long ago before that. And uh, finally, we uh, watched it with some friends late at night, and it was really good. Um... It's one of the things I've heard talked about that I would agree with is it's crazy how fast things are um, unsettling and creepy. Like, it's yeah. not like it is... It, some people remember it and describe it as, oh, yeah, it's like it, it's kind of slow at the beginning and then builds. It's really like it starts off pretty intense. <laughs> yeah. And it's pretty uh, weird. It's and there's things, already things yeah. going on in the background and stuff. Yeah, and, like, that's, of course, is one of the big things about it is all the yeah. little... Like, Kub- that's Kubrick's, like... Maybe yeah. his masterpiece. It's like ranking his films is so hard. I don't know. That maybe not his masterpiece, but I mean it's, one of his masterpieces. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Every one that he's done is a masterpiece, pretty much. Uh, yeah, that so. one, like you said, it's so analyzed, um, and there's so many things going on. There's, I started trying to watch YouTube videos about it after I watched it. And I was like, there's just too much content of like people's <laughs> interpretations of like why did the freezer door like all this random little stuff like oh there could have been a second door and then all this it's like oh my gosh it's like there's just too much yeah i've seen a lot of that though (laughs) it's crazy like there's a lot but i'm partially ashamed to admit that i i like all the stuff about the mazes though because adam savage replicated the maze but the problem is there's like six different mazes there's like the full life scale one there's the one that's shown top down there's the one that's in the overlook hotel that's the model then there's the one that's on a map. Then there's the one that's on the map outside the maze. There's, like, all these different mazes. Yeah. I don't know. That probably was intentional because it so. kind of creates that they're subtly off. And so, yeah. like, some of them have entrances on different sides. And some, like, it's really weird. It's kind of, like, almost constantly shifting in a way. Yeah. Which is kind of the way I feel about the movie as a whole. It's just, it's it's hard to grasp. It's really just kind of slips through your fingers. Um, but it's very terrifying it's very tense. Um, I know you said, like, it's already starting off pretty tense in the beginning, and I think that was one of the things that Stephen King wasn't a big fan about. Uh, most people know this by now about The Shining. It doesn't really require a whole lot of discussion on our part, but um, he, he said that in his book, Jack Torrance was a normal guy who had a supernatural experience. But the movie, Jack Nicholson, like, already is crazy and is pretty strange and maybe kind of evil. And then he gets worse throughout the movie. So it's kind of like, oh, he destroyed the character and all that. But 
part of that is that when Stephen King wrote the book, Jack Torrance was a stand-in for him. Um, mm. He struggled with alcoholism and drug abuse through the 80s and uh, or before that. that. And so um, the, the Shining was kind of him working out his inner demons. Uh, and so he was, I think, personally offended that Kubrick chose to go the way he did with the film. But, you know, however you feel about it, it's just, like, it's a great it's movie. It's a true like, classic. It's hard to compare the book and the movie. It's kind of useless to do so anyway, but it's so good. I've seen it a few times, and, yeah, it stands the test of time for sure. And I can't believe it's 40 years old. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah, all these movies are. That's insane to think about. Wow, Okay. Okay, so a while back I got a little bit into the Beatles, I think like most people do. Um, you listen, usually a lot of people, you know, Beatles are a big famous band, you listen to music, you listen to the Beatles, yeah. you know, that's the thing. So I listened to Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band was kind of my gateway and my first Beatles album I listened to with serious intent. And I really love that album and it taught me an important lesson about music and the listening experience. Two headphones. <laughs> they play with panning so much, so if you listen to it with one headphone, it just you're missing like almost half the song and yeah. the a lot of the artistic intent of the music. So that's a lesson I've learned about something about music. I learned an equally important lesson, uh, a music lesson from this next film. I learned that music can also be seen. Ah. Of course, it may seem obvious, but until I watched Stop Making Sense. I didn't, it didn't make sense to me. <laughs> Stage design is really fascinating, and I loved how the show gradually built to crescendos of the band's weirdness, um, Talking Heads, that is. Yes. This is a Talking Heads documentary um, about one of their albums, uh, Stop Making Sense, and it's by Jacques de... Jacques... Uh, what, wait, <laughs> not Jacques Demi. Jonathan Demi. Jonathan Demi, yeah, not by yes. Jacques Demi. No, different, um, but similar last name. <laughs> yes, uh, that was bad but yeah it was a really interesting lesson like it just starts off really kind of slow and then slowly builds um like the shining doesn't <laughs> i guess yeah okay <laughs> uh it really builds and i love the transparency of the stage design how they would literally the crew members would roll out the next band member on a cart and with their next instruments and yeah at one point with you know the big suit and he was running around the stage and is dancing with a lamp and it's yeah. just totally weird and wacky and i just had a great time and since then i've listened to the album a couple times i just haven't had that same experience it's just i really think yeah, it, that's the thing I learned. Is music, music can also be seen. And I also watched it as a double feature with Monterey Pop, which we talked about uh, last month in our '70s episode. Yeah. Or was that '60s or? That was '60s. Yeah. Okay. So we talked about it two months ago in our '60s, from six from the '60s episode. That was a good weekend of double features of you know that lesson that music can really, if filmed well and done well, it can have a whole other layer of being seen and i haven't really been to any concerts mm. but i know that's like a big thing um seeing your favorite band in concert is a whole nother level of their music to experience it in the visual way so that's yeah that's my pick um you've seen i know you've seen it so yes. what's kind of maybe some of your thoughts totally loved it it's it's just totally entrancing and it's weird but the music's so good 
Yeah. And they just. And I don't even like eighties. Like we don't really like eighties music. Me and you. Yeah, like, but that's different. Like it's I know not, that's it's the not thing. your typical. That's, new a, that's wave what I'm trying pop. to say. Like yeah. it's not the same. It's like it's eighties music, but it's like the only eighties music I actually like. <laughs> yeah, and you're right. It has to be seen, um, just because the band is so eccentric, and uh, the lead singer, what is his name, David, David Byrne. Byrne. Yes, he is such a character, and I loved every second beginning to end yeah. it's, it's great um, yeah and Jonathan Demi famous for The Silence of the Lambs probably most um, and then probably this and then he's got some other movies that have some acclaim and stuff yeah. but not as wide reaching as Silence of the Lambs for sure so uh, yeah good pick good cool. pick Okay, it was really hard to decide which of these last two I would put in first place and which I would put in second place. I'll try to lay out my reasoning behind putting my number one where it is when we get to that point. Uh, but this movie is perfect. The colors, the music, the story are all blended together masterfully and cemented this director as one of the most crucial voices in film. He's a vital filmmaker who keeps pushing the boundaries not only in narrative but also in form. This film has an ensemble of characters all working together to form a fully developed community. Uh, one that feels real, alive, and with its own unique challenges. Mm. The film is told through a series of vignettes that feel more like scenes in a stage play than a movie to me. Uh, maybe most people don't get that same reaction. Um, however, they all build toward a brutal and shocking double climax. And with recent events, it feels eerily prescient. No matter your take on the answer, there's no doubt that director Spike Lee wants us to ask the question, did they do the right thing? Mm. This came out in 1989, and if you missed it, it's called Do the Right Thing. Bro, have you seen it? No, I haven't. Yeah, I know you really love this, so I, and I've heard so many great things over my course of you know, getting into the Criterion and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've never seen a Spike Lee movie, I don't think. What are, what are some of not. his most recent? What did he do, like, two years ago? So he made Black Klansman. Okay, yeah, that's the one that I missed, that, yeah. that I didn't see. Yeah, so he's definitely a big blind spot in uh, American cinema and African-American filmmakers. Right. Um, big blind spot, like we were kind of talking about last week, watching more of that um, area of film. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, one thing I would say about Do the Right Thing, the phrase... <laughs> mm -hmm. It's not related to the movie at all. <laughs> but there's this uh, YouTube filmmaker, Casey Neistat. He's pretty famous. And he uh, writes on his wallet. He writes, do the right thing on it. Because it's, instead of writing, I will kill you if I find you, or reward, it's um, a way for people to kind of have the responsibility of the kind of that guilt, like, do the right thing, give my wallet back, like, contact the number, do the right thing. So he writes, he puts on, like, all of his stuff so that people will do the right thing and uh, return his stuff, and it's worked out for him ever since, so. Right. I've always liked that idea. Yeah, yeah, it's, like, all the characters in this, they're all sort of interconnected, and it's hard to know what it all amounts to until the end when it all comes into crystal clear mm. focus, what the title is meant to be, and, you know, it just, it, it brings up a lot of questions and almost forces you to watch it again. Uh, to rethink a lot of the things that it's putting out there. Um, Didn't you watch it twice pretty close? Or did you I just... wanted to, oh, but I actually haven't seen it again okay, yet. Okay. But I watched this recently. It was like only a couple of few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. um, and I was blown away. It's been sitting on my shelf for like months. And I just finally yeah. 
popped it in. It's two hours exactly, so it's it's a good, you know, pretty quick watch compared to some of the films we talk about on here. <laughs> but yeah, Do the Right Thing. It was super great. Since then, I've seen... Well, I saw Black Klansman uh, before, but since then, I've now seen The Five Bloods, which is his newest oh, yeah. film on Netflix. And then I also went back and saw She's Gotta Have It, which is one of his first movies. I think it was his second movie. But the first one that kind is of that brought him... Is that in black and white? What's... Yeah, yeah okay. it's, it's okay. mostly in black and white. That kind of brought him mainstream success and uh, back in the early 80s, I want to say. So, yeah. Cool. Sweet. Was that... That's your last one, right? That was number two. Wait, but I don't have... You have Oh, yeah, one so more. I say one more and then... Yes. Okay. I was really confused. I was like, wait, I only have one more. Uh... <laughs> okay. When I watched this, I had really high expectations and little to no context of what it was about. And to be honest, I was pretty disappointed and I really didn't like it too much. Since then, it has grown on me, and every now and again, an idea that was being tackled resurfaces, and I think back more fondly. I still don't really understand most of it and like much of it, but time has worked in my favor. It's a massive work of social commentary of a society bogged down by 27B-6 uh, documents and corrupt government. Terry Gilliam's Brazil is awesome. Bro, I don't think you've seen this, but uh, what do you know about Brazil? <laughs> I have not. I've only seen 12 Monkeys yeah. uh, by Gilliam, so not a huge... Well, and he co-directed one of the Monty Python movies. Right. I think it was Life of Brian that he co-directed with Terry Jones. Uh, have you seen Time Bandits? I haven't, okay. no. I've Me seen. Neither. Yeah, no, just, yeah, just okay. those two. Okay. I watched but... uh, The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. Not too long ago, and I really liked yeah. that. That was kind of a consideration for my list, definitely an honorable mention. Um, but yeah, Brazil, of course, I, I got into it through the special effects. Um, Adam Savage was a projectionist uh, in his teen years and growing up when this came out, and he projected this movie at a theater where it kind of got its start in New York hundreds upon hundreds of times. So he's seen it so many times, he, taught, he just loves it. And so I always just really had high bar of what it was going to be like like I, I was a little bit disappointed but since then I've now that I kind of understand what it's about and I kind of have broken through the initial first watch I'm excited to go back and uh, kind of revisit some of the things it was dealing with I imagine it has some similarities with like 1984 the book by George Orwell hmm. it's just very social commentary about government and right. about really constricting societies where like everything you have to do you have to have a permit and a and there's all this oh. bogged down there's all this like really it's crazy. it's pretty crazy um nice and yeah the special effects are awesome um that definitely drove me through the movie was just seeing all the sets and all the different things they were doing was really fun and terry gilliam is quite a pioneer of practical effects and so right. his movies are always like baron munchausen even too they just he does a lot of fun things that are uh exciting to watch so it helps you get through some of those slow moments but yeah this was really good uh it has a lot of good people in it um that are in some of his other movies and such um so yeah that's cool. my last one from the 80s awesome sounds good and you didn't rank yours right nope cool so that could have been your eighth favorite or your first yeah it's, favorite, it's but... higher up there compared to some i kind of tried to structure a little bit more ranked so like yeah my first ones were kind of throwaways and these last ones have been some of my more favorite ones but yeah definitely not exactly ranked but 
Cool. All right. Uh, my last one. Whew. Few films have blown me away like this one did. Yeah, I heard it was great and all that, but didn't really know what it was about or why the hype was so great. Well, after watching it, I got it. <laughs> this movie is shocking, terrifying, brutal, gut-wrenching, and deeply tragic. To some, those words would not describe a movie they love, let alone their favorite movie from a particular decade. Uh, but if you'd seen it, you'd know. Uh, I said that I would try and lay out my reasons for putting this above Do the Right Thing, uh, so let me give it the old college try. First, this movie just hit me in a different way. I think that's due to the filming style. Uh, the director uses a highly subjective camera to put us literally through the eyes of the protagonist or in a position where we are literally looking directly into them. Second, as surprising as Do the Right Thing is, events in this caught me more by surprise. Uh, the beginning is set up with such a light tone while hinting at darkness, but it's never expected to get that dark. There are moments where I actually feared for the protagonist's sanity. Third, the sound design. This film features some of the most eerie, haunting, and deafening sound effects I've heard and uses them in the perfect ways. At the end of the day, I can't really explain why this film swept me up, but it did. Also, there's a scene at the end that was completely unlike anything I've ever seen, uh, but I won't say more. Instead, I'll just give the film's title, Come and See, directed by mm. Ellen Klimov in 1985, and ask you, bro, have you seen it? Mm. Wow. I I didn't know what you were describing the whole time. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. That's a good one. I haven't seen it, but yeah, it's one of, the, one of those other ones that I remember when you watched it and how much you loved it, Yeah. so... I, but I forgot about it, that you had been talking about it. So nice. this whole time I've been really interested to see what's on your list. But mm -hmm. yeah, I haven't watched this one. It's it's one of those ones that's like cinema's all-time greats, you know. Mm -hmm. It's up there pretty high. So it's one that I definitely want to watch. And maybe once the Criterion Blu-ray comes out and yeah. you buy it probably, then oh, yeah. I'll watch it. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, so it's actually... Long, right? Yeah, it's about two and a half hours, okay. I think. Okay. It's it's not bad. It actually goes by pretty quick. But, yeah, it's actually convenient that, you know, I brought this up and this episode's the time that it is because the aforementioned Criterion sale at Barnes & Noble, it's 50% off for everything um, that's Criterion. So, uh, and actually, it just so happens that the newest spine number to be released will be come and see on June 30th. So you're probably listening to this on Monday. This is when the episode will drop. So tomorrow, uh, it'll probably be popping up at your local Barnes & Noble. Uh, but if you wait another week to pick it up, then you could get it for half the price. So just a little heads up for nice. all you out there who like this movie as much as I do. Uh, yeah, it's great. It was part of my shallow dive that I did about right. non-American World War II movies. Uh, World War II is just viewed in a vastly different lens in other countries it's as Russia, it is. Russia, right? Russia. Yeah, yeah, Soviet Union. Um, yeah, well, true. <laughs> technically at the <laughs> time. I it's the Soviet Union. At the time it was. That's true. Uh, and it's just a very diff different perspective that I wanted to understand a little more deeply. Um, I call it shallow dive because I only do about three or four or five movies um, just kind of grouped together as a little marathon that I can, you know, dig a little deeper into something that I don't know about. Right now I'm working on a film noir 
shallow dive so i'm seeing a lot of the classics of that genre but yeah this one really interested me and i knew it was really highly praised highly beloved so i decided i'd give it a shot and i totally love it it's my favorite That's from awesome. the 80s so wow high praise come and see <laughs> All right. Oh, I forgot about honorable mentions. Do you want to? Oh, do you sure. have any that you? <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I I mentioned Baron Munchausen. Adventures of Baron Munchausen. That's definitely that's another Terry Gilliam. That's that would be an honorable mention for me. Uh, let me just quickly pull these up. Um, let's see here. Dead Poet Society. I like that. It's a good heart heartwarming film. Uh, naked, the Naked Gun. This was an honorable mention on the comedies list. It's just barely been squeezed out by other movies, but it's Dang. so close. Um, I thought about it the other day because someone was talking about it, but yeah, it's it got was like on TV recently, something and... like that. Yeah. yeah, the second one or the third one. Yeah, that's what it was. Um, yeah, it's kind of crude humor, but I thought it was really funny, and uh, it's just. Uh, good good slapstick physical comedy with some innuendo in there so nice it was a good time um Police story 2 we kind of talked about that uh my neighbor totoro is another mm. studio ghibli hayao miyazaki movie it's kind of second to spirited away these days <laughs> amongst everyone but it's really great and so sweet and hilarious we quote it all the time there's a couple lines that we always quote uh, yeah. around uh, let's see, um, yeah, I don't know, like, there's a, I've watched a good amount, I mean, there's Blade Runner and Raiders and, mm -hmm. um, the Goonies and the Back to the, Back to the Future ones, we kind of talked about those, I guess, First Blue's Day Off, just, like, Spaceballs, there's a bunch of those type of bigger ones that, yeah. um, that I've seen that I like, but not really my jam, there's War Games, Mm. War games. I remember <laughs> liking that. We brought that kind of up on our sneakers episode. Oh yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I'd say that's it for me. The Shining, for sure. And uh, yeah, cool. cool. Yeah, I definitely need to check out some more stuff in the eighties. At least yeah. now I got a list of from you to go off of. So definitely, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, I have a few. So I said I had twenty three total. So I'll just shoot these off starting at number nine. And the rest of them aren't necessarily ranked. Uh, but number nine was Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Okay. I really like this movie, but when I was writing the setup for it, I was like, yeah, I just don't have a lot to say about it. And I wanted to put Last Crusade up there because I did love it a lot. Uh, Batman from 89. Oh, dang. I didn't yeah, like that much. I did really like it. It's probably top three Batman movies for me. So. Okay. Um, Fanny and Alexander, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Paris, Texas, Full Metal Jacket, The Little Mermaid. Ooh. Uh, when Harry Met Sally, Rain Man, Big, My Dinner with Andre, Escape from New York, Platoon, Wall Street, and Grave of the Fireflies. Oh, yeah. That's another Studio Ghibli that I really like, so. Yeah. That was on my prep list. I never got around to it. Yeah. Cool. Well, we can wrap it up here, and we'll probably later on record a lengthier What's Been Entertaining You mm -hmm. and our monthly pickups, so. Yeah. Yep. Uh, that's the end of the show. What are we discussing next week, bro? Next week's episode uh, is actually your recommend to me of a quote-unquote regular movie. Uh, it's The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Not the original, but the Ben Stiller directed and starring one. I don't know the year, but I've seen it one time. I need to revisit it, but I know you like it a lot, so I'm excited for that. 
Uh, and if you, you know, if you want to leave us feedback a little bit, uh, bro, have you seen podcast at gmail.com. Uh, if you send in any feedback about the show or about our 80s list, if you still want to send in your 80s list, then uh, we'll, we might feature it on the show. So, uh, yeah, unfortunately, we didn't uh, have yep. any of those. <laughs> That's kind of awkward, but... Uh... <laughs> Just kidding. Okay. Uh, yeah, and if you want to go back in time, like Back to the Future, yes, but Back to the Past... And listen to our earlier episodes. Those can all be found at brohaveyouseen.captivate.fm or downloaded from Spotify or Apple Podcasts. That includes all of our previous decades lists. So if you want to go back and check it, check those out, as well as our uh, favorite comedies list that we brought up, our top ten favorite comedies. Yeah. Um, from each of us. If you liked the show, let us know. Also, you can rate our podcast and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Or, yeah. Uh, every good rating and review helps us out so please do it now yeah each new episode is posted at 6 a.m on mondays mountain standard time if you want to see what else is entertaining me or you know look at my 80s list Mm. in a visual manner that'll be posted (laughs) on my letterbox at everett clark 236 and i'm at barn clark see you next week bro see ya